Welcome back to the United Podcast. You're with Larry today. It's bright and early, 9.30pm, but me and Tom are wide awake because we know that you guys need your podcast fix. So it's obviously Premier League season. It's the it's a pointy end of the season. So we thought, of course, Manchester United's the most important football club in the world. But we'll go around the Premier League. Let's let's have a, a bit of a geese to see how the other clubs are tracking. Liverpool, they're back in the Champions League battle. Leicester have secured the FA Cup. Might just have the best owners we've ever seen. Arsenal, are they still in the top six? Tottenham, are they still in the top six? There's lots to cover. And as always, I've got Tom with me. Tom, how you doing, mate? Yeah, very well, very well. But your point just there saying, are Arsenal still in the top six? When was the last time they were in the top six? Oh, well, the big the big six, top six. You, you know what? I, you know, those teams branded as the... The big six, if you like. Um, I don't know the last time Arsenal were relevant, but look, you know, we'll take the piss out of them. Always enjoy doing that. But anyway, I think, Tom, we'll call this episode, just for today, we'll call it the Premier League pub crawl because we're going all around the Premier League and we can drink while we do it. Yeah, well, I've got mine. Okay, sounds good. All right, Tom, let's actually start with the Liverpool game. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago, but... Manchester United, not in a good vein of form at the moment. Um, This game specifically, we start very brightly. Bruno Fernandes kicks the ball very intelligently at a defender who he knows isn't very good. Ball goes in the net. Hunky Derry, happy days. Um, But once Liverpool got that first goal, it all just sort of unravelled a little bit, didn't it? Well, to me, it was very simple what happened in this game. And it wasn't given enough credit. It was given all the talking point was about team selection and player performance and everything like that fixture pile up. It came down to one very simple thing for me. One team had something to play for, and one team didn't have anything to play for. And it just came down to a clear motivation thing. And we can sit here as United fans and say, well, that's not good enough Good enough from Man United. They're paid thousands of pounds a week. They should be motiva- motivated every single week. And of mm. course that is right, but there is a difference. We had second place, or at least top four in the bag, very likely second place in the bag. Liverpool had everything to play for, and naturally, I think it played a sort of played a big part and played a pivotal part. Yeah, that's a valid point, and I think it's something that's been overshadowed. But look, Tom, before we get into three two ones, obviously the game's been it's been here and it's gone. But should we dare talk about Fred, or is that just territory that we should just leave untouched? Look, we had a lot to say about Fred in the sort of the aftermath of that match, but I don't think it was anything like a scapegoat thing. I don't think he was the sole reason for a poor performance or anything. I think he was just his limitations were highlighted. Like I think some of the players, their limitations were highlighted. I think we get we've been caught sort of in the last couple of months. We've been caught up in I wouldn't say the hype, but sort of the feel good factor around the club, and we're seeing second place, and we've now seen Solskjaer's first final. We still have to cast our mind back and look at, at the start of the season, what our initial thoughts were about this squad and the players. And ultimately, when you compare it to Manchester City or the teams in the to, sort of the top tree at the, um, in the Champions League, we're not at that level. So occasionally you're going to get performances like this where players like Fred are highlighted and you think, well, they're mm. not good enough. Like, it has been good at times, but ultimately, mm. in terms of what we... And I don't like to use the word because it's sort of got bad connotations around Man United... But it's in terms of what we want to aspire to be like. Unfortunately, over a consistency, over a consistent basis, um, our players aren't good enough. A lot of them. Without getting into a debate about it, my final point on this will be: 
Yes, I agree. And I think where United do sit is definitely improvement. However, I think the manager and the coaching staff need to take some criticism because if you're set up to play out from the back and you're putting Fred in a vulnerable position that does not play to his strengths and in fact opens him up to his weaknesses... I think there's a bit of criticism to be had there. But look, I'm sure we will debate Fred between now and the new season. But let's move on. Um, three, two, ones. Who was your man of the match in this game? Well, as you say, it was a while ago, so it is hard to sort of rewind the memory. I think from memory, Bruno was quite good. And um, again, one of those performances where he doesn't quite stand out and then he has his, well, could you define it as a goal, I guess? I think actually it did go down as a Bruno goal. So he needs to be given credit for it. And um, did he get the assist for Rashford's goal? I'm not quite sure. But um, I thought Bruno, in, in a sort of subpar performance across the board, um, Bruno was probably one that maybe kind of stood out for me. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Was it Bruno who played the ball to Rashford? I'm certain it was. I don't know. It, was, it felt like three weeks ago it happened. All right, well, we'll just give Bruno the credit anyway. Uh, yeah, all right. Bruno, three points, two points. From memory, and I, this one was maybe a little bit clearer in my mind, but Wan-Bissaka again, because um, I, I thought it was a hard game for the fullbacks, and I want to give Liverpool, I don't want to give Liverpool credit, but I think the way they set up, in the last couple of weeks, United have got a lot of joy out of our fullbacks, especially down the left side with Luke Shaw. Mm. But I can't really remember Luke Shaw getting forward, and I don't really want to use that as a criticism of Luke Shaw. I think, and I haven't gone back to watch the game, and I dare not to, but... I think a lot of it probably came down from a tactical side of things from Jurgen Klopp in terms of stifling our fullbacks in terms of getting forward because obviously they are very attacking fullbacks themselves. And I thought we'll pin back quite a bit, especially those both Luke Shaw and Wan-Bissaka, but defensively, Wan-Bissaka was very good. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, well, I mean, Mane's a really good player, which, you know, I, I know Mo Salah's been the one who's probably maintained his level of performance this season, but Mane didn't really get a sniff this game. Uh, the one chance which Henderson makes a good save for. So, yeah, I think wan is a good shout. Um, one point, I think Rashford, for me, he, he got the goal that gave us a hope, so I think that's an easy one. Yeah, sadly, a goal against Liverpool should be sort of really celebrated, but unfortunately it sort of yeah, it does go under the radar a little bit because ultimately... Um, sadly, it meant nothing. But yeah, it was a good finish and something on his left foot, which he doesn't often take. Yeah, very true. So credit there. I think that's let's put that Liverpool game behind us. All right, and on Liverpool, let's talk about that top four race, Tom, because, Jesus, um, <laughs> Liverpool do have it all going their way at the moment. Did you see that last-minute winner by a goalkeeper? Oh, look, where to start? Look, I, di- I didn't like what I saw. I hated seeing it, however... You do have to take your hat off and sometimes just look at it and think, well, look, that is an unbelievable moment. The, the thing that really annoyed me was West Brom. And again, they're relegated, they have nothing to play for. But when a goalkeeper comes up, there is one person you mark. Even if Harry Kane, Sergio Aguero, Thierry Henry, Ruud van Nistelrooy are in the box, you mark the goalkeeper. Because if there's one player that's going to score when the goalkeeper goes forward, it's the keeper. It's just how football works. The, the ball gravitates towards the goalkeeper in the box. They left the goalkeeper free. It was a fantastic header, and look, he he is a Liverpool player, and we don't like that, but he did speak um, post-match, and he's obviously very emotional for his his father, who passed away recently. So it is, unfortunately, a great footballing moment, um, something that, look, if Liverpool do get in the top four, um, that that goal is going to be replayed for years. Yeah, I mean, removing the emotion as a United fan, I I think we can do here... um, Reckless defending by West Brom. I hate to see if that was Manchester United. Duncan Castles would be tearing us apart. But um, 
I've got to say, it was, a, it was a really good header. And I think Alisson is a hell of a goalkeeper. I, I don't think too many would have complained if United were the ones who got him at the time. But look, there's still a few games to go. Um, hopefully, it, you know, it's not in Liverpool's hands at the moment. If the team's well, no, above no, them... No, it is. It is in their hands because... Oh, Chelsea, yeah, because Leicester are versus Chelsea, aren't they? Yeah, so if Liverpool win their two games, they're in. Which is yeah. crazy. Two, three weeks ago, they were crying over us fielding a weak inside against, against Leicester. And um, now it's in their hands. And look, ultimately, we, we, we're going to sit here at the end of the season and, and wherever a team finishes, we're going to sit here and say, well, wherever you finish, that's where you deserve to finish. Yeah, and absolutely. And we're saying here Liverpool didn't deserve Champions League football. Well, they might get in a position where they did deserve it. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll see. Leicester and Chelsea, that'll be an interesting game and there'll be lots of eyes on it. And I think that really is the top four race, isn't it? I mean, West Ham have sort of dipped right out of it. But who who, who finishes in the top four for you? Give me your final four. It all comes down to this Chelsea and Leicester game. I think the winner of Chelsea, sorry, the loser of Chelsea and Leicester will fall out. Um, I have a feeling Chelsea might win it just in terms of maybe a little bit of a bounce back and Leicester maybe sort of struggle to sort of reach that motivation level after the FA Cup final. So I can see Chelsea winning that. And I think sort of the momentum Liverpool have at the moment, they've just got everything rolling for them. I think they've got Burnley and Crystal Palace. You'd assume they'll um, get six points from that. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you there. And I think with Chelsea, they got the Champions League final there. They'll want to go into that with a bit of momentum. So I think they've got a little bit more to play for in that one. All right, Tom, transfers, our favourite topic. Um, I'm being tongue-in-cheek there. We don't really actually enjoy talking about transfers too much. But, you know, we are coming into the off-season, so why not? Let's talk about it. Jaden Sancho, um, I feel like we're rewinding 12 months ago, but the I guess the momentum is now building. Um, we do expect the Englishmen to sign rather than not sign this season. You look at all the commentary around the, the pressure on the Glazers, um, I guess the protests, the movements online, which we'll get to. Jaden Sancho, Tom, um, is this one that you think is going to happen? Look, I probably said yes this time last season and obviously proven incorrect, but this time I'm going to sit here again and say yes, I think it'll happen. And look, we can discuss it from United's point of view and the Glazers' point of view on why we think it'll happen. But I'm probably looking at more so from Dortmund's point of view and the 110 or 120 million pounds that they wanted, which ultimately they missed out on, mm. I think after a year of sort of COVID-19 football, they're thinking, they're probably looking back and thinking, oh my God, that 100 million would have been pretty nice um, right about now. So I think they're going to be looking at, let's say, 70 to 80 million for Jaden Sancho now and thinking, look, we'll keep a hold of, ha- we'll keep a hold of Haaland and we'll get rid of Sancho um, because we, I think every club, but especially a club who was run like Dortmund, ultimately can't say no to that type of money. And they said no last year, and I think, okay, fair play to them, but I can't see them doing so two years in a row. And, um, yeah, look, at the moment, it is the name that is emerging as quite a clear favourite. Maybe not favourite in regards to everyone knows he's going to sign, but in terms of a name that you definitely know Man United are interested in. Like, if you look at the Mm. centre-back transfer rumours, who knows which centre-back we're interested in. There's six or seven names one day you say this guy's the favourite, one day you say that guy's the favourite. No one actually actually knows who's on Solskjaer's list. Jamie yeah. Sancho is definitely on Solskjaer's list. We know that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that we'll see an opportunity to see Mason play a bit more central. But you know what, Tom? Looking at how this season's progressed, the, the commentary around Fred and the midfield, 
um, the our frailties um, when the ball is transitioning from attack to defense. If you were Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, would you be prioritizing Jaden Sancho or would you be prioritizing a number six? Oh, no, yeah, we've both sat here and said definitely the priority is further back, whether that be a defender or a defensive midfielder. And I think the best example of that is if you can just imagine Jaden Sancho playing against Liverpool, let's imagine he's out on the right wing against Andy Robertson. And who's our centre back on that? Eric Bay plays a pass into Fred, and Fred loses possession um, inside our 18 yard box. The image there is Jaden Sancho standing on halfway with his hands on his hips waiting for the ball. It's no use buying Jaden Sancho if we're going to lose the ball in that type of area, if that's the way we're going to play. So you look at that, and the priority definitely is at the other end of the pitch. Even from a look, we're talking from a defensive point of view, but even an attacking point of view in terms of playing out from the back. So um, the priority for me, look, I've said it before, I've flip-flopped between it being a defender and being a defensive midfielder. I'm not quite sure. This mm. week it's a defensive midfielder because I'm very unhappy with Fred. But, um, yeah, Jaden Sancho definitely isn't the priority. However, if given the chance to sign Jaden Sancho, um, look, while I'm a huge fan of Mason Greenwood, um, it would be hard to say no to Jaden Sancho. So I'd definitely welcome the signing while hoping with their eyes are also at other areas of the pitch. My fear with this signing is it's going to be our one and only transfer this summer. But we'll wait and see. Um, all right, Tom, let's talk about the FA Cup. Because i got to say, I-, I was absolutely buzzing for Leicester. Um, let's talk about their owners more specifically. I think the Leicester story is one to be... Look, it, they'll make a movie out of it. I have no doubt about it. The fact they've won the Premier League, the fact they've won the FA Cup. But on the owners... Um, their fans absolutely adore them, and I, I can't blame them. We had the tragedy with the... Um, I, I don't know the name, I'm sorry, but the, the boss's son... Um, sorry, the son's boss... Uh, the, the son's father, Jesus Christ. It is late here, ladies and gentlemen. Please forgive me. Um, we saw the owner... Um, the, the son's owner had uh, passed away in that tragic helicopter accident, I want to say nearly two years ago now. Um, but we've since seen, you know, they, they've still continued to remain stable. They're well run. And then you just saw the way the players embraced the owner. Like those were phenomenal scenes. And it just fills you with jealousy, surely. Well, yeah, well, the first bit of the jealousy comes from success. They're, they're, if you look at trophies and especially maybe the bigger trophies, they've been more successful than us in recent years. So that's the first sign of je- um, jealous they've, um obviously won the league, which is what we want to do. We haven't done that since um, 2013. They've done it a lot more recent than that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is a visible difference in terms of, and especially the, the recent events have, have highlighted the issue in terms of the relationship or communication, whatever way you want to approach it, between the club, the club's owners, its players and its fans, and just that whole connection of the club in general. You look at the way the Glazers have... I don't want to use the word communicated, but sort of lack of communicated with the club. Mm. You cannot see a situation where the Glazers are like that on the pitch at Wembley, celebrating with the play with the players. That just simply wouldn't happen. And um, it was just look. I'm jealous because Leicester won the FA Cup and they've won the Premier League, but also because their club is structured in a way where everyone is pulling in the same direction. Where United have the, the players and staff pulling in one direction, the fans pulling in one direction, and the owners pulling in a completely different direction. And that is why, ultimately, you won't be successful in the long term because every single person, every single department of the football club 
needs to be on the same page and a club like Leicester at the moment are. I think in five or ten years if Leicester continues this success their sort of structure might change and they might sort of become a little bit, I don't know what the word is, but a little bit more money hungry and see an opportunity to turn into sort of a so-called big club and maybe it changes then. But at the moment, yeah, you do have to be a little bit of, um, a little bit jealous towards them because they, they are getting it completely bang on. On Leicester, I'm very keen to see what they do with the Jamie Vardy situation. I think it's clear to see he's now on a decline um, and how they look to replace him will be interesting. Aniacho has actually had a decent season, but they like to play with that two-striker system. So it'll be interesting to see how they evolve. They have played to Jamie Vardy's strengths. Um, you know, obviously, he when you think of Leicester, you think of Jamie Vardy. So, um, And can we just say the story of Jamie Vardy in itself, like it, it is a hell of a football story. Oh, yeah, you see the photos of his first FA Cup appearance or something back in 2007, I think it was. Mm. And it's just for a local sort of semi-professional outfit. And now yeah. he's, look, he's he's going to go down in Premier League history. He's sort of one of the, I don't want to say one of the greatest strikers, but he's sort of in that category when people are going to look back and think of great seasons and great great strikers. He's definitely, I personally don't rate him too highly. However, that flies straight in the face of my argument because you look at his goals, he obviously is extremely good. And, um, yeah, credit to him because you don't often see a story like that. And I think everyone sort of gravitates to a sort of an underdog story like he has. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. All right, Tom, let's, um, on the topic of owners and good owners, let's talk about our great owners. Um, not a penny more. Um, this movement is actually getting momentum. There was a story, I can't, rem- I can't recall the, um, I can't recall the name, but, Someone who works in the finance industry, and he was saying that this movement has the potential to cost United sponsors millions and millions of pounds. Um, there's now a movement around, you know, clicking on ads um, when you're Googling it, and apparently that, that incurs a cost to Manchester United and the sponsors. Um, what do you make of this movement? Do you think, you know, we've seen a major sponsor pull out of the training the training kit, 200 million pounds, apparently. Do you think this movement is going to have an impact and do you think it's getting getting on the pressure of the Glazers to eventually sell the club? Whether it has an impact, it could have an impact. Whether that impact um, encourages or speeds up any sale, I'm not quite sure. Um, you'd have to ask the Glazers what their, sort of, how they deal with that kind of adversity. I'm not quite sure. But in terms of what you're saying, in terms of the movement behind it, I can definitely see it because, well, the first one is obviously that sponsorship pulling out of the um, training kit deal. Um, and also you look at team viewers, so Man United's major sponsor now, or from next season, in terms of whatever it is, the Google reviews or Trustpilot reviews or whatever they are, they've had to alter that and say, you can't review it, you can't leave a review without having physical evidence that you've bought a product. And so they're obviously being inundated with sort of negative reviews and their sort of star rating went from a 5 to a 1.5, etc. Mm. And that ultimately is going to annoy the sponsors and they're going to be knocking on the Glazers' door and think, hang on, this is not what we signed up for. What are you going to do about this? And whether the Glazers are going to say, well, we'll find a new sponsor. Thanks for being with us and good luck. Or the Glazers say, look, okay, we've taken this club as... or we've rinsed this club as much as we can. Now it's time to say goodbye. And... um Look, who knows what way this is going to go. We all hope it does go one way. Um, so in terms of the momentum, it's 100%. It's fantastic. Whether it has the impact, look, pray to God, yes. If I'm going to put money on it, I would say no. But maybe that's just a little bit 
the pessimism from me seeing how the Glazers have sort of survived everything over the last 15, 16 years. So, look, I'm glad I'm glad it's got momentum. Will it keep keep up the momentum during the off-season if we do sign a Jaden Sancho or a Haaland? I think ultimately, sadly, not that it should, but sadly, mm. I think it might fade away because I think a lot of the noise, which we have seen great numbers outside Old Trafford, but a lot of this noise on Twitter, unfortunately, I think is a younger generation, which ultimately and sadly will be influenced by shiny new toys. Yeah, I have to agree there. And uh, Tom, you might kick me for this. I don't know if I agree with this movement, you know. Um, I, I think you're punishing the wrong people. And I, I understand, like, you're trying to get a desired outcome. But there's also the counter effect. And maybe this is, you know, perhaps working in a in a business field that my mind's going here. But if you if the fans act this way towards sponsors... I think it has the potential to have a counter effect where you'll actually get to a point where no sponsor is going to want to be associated with Manchester United. If the Glazers don't get sponsorship money, where do you think they're going to pull the money out of? It's going to come out of the transfers. So I think there's a catch-22 here, and I think it's a risky game that we're playing. I hope it gets the desired outcome, but if it doesn't, I'm just saying I think there could be some serious repercussions there from from a fan point of view as well. Um all right, Tom, let's go on to a bit of a more fun topic because uh, this is probably the favorite, most favourite dot point we've had for today. Um, the Big Six. Who is the Big Six? We've discussed Leicester winning the FA Cup. They're becoming regulars in that top six battle. Um, Arsenal currently sit, I think, 10th, if not 11th. Um, they're not even in Europa League anymore. Who is the top six? Um, we've seen Liverpool struggling. What do we define it as? You just said there, and we both used the same term, both in the same sentence and meant completely different things. Top mm. six and big six. I think the big six will never change. Like Obviously, it will change at some stage, but ultimately, a big club is a big club and will remain big. You look at Arsenal, their last... You look how long it's been since Man United have won a title. Look at mm. Arsenal, that was 2004. Yet, they're still a big club. They're still in this big six discussion. So... You just look at that, and I don't think that'll ever change. There's a good argument for me that doesn't have Manchester City in the big six. However, obviously, they have sort of weaseled their way into it. But I think the main main bit of the argument, before we get any clarity, is what do we want to, not achieve, but what do we want to achieve by this argument? What What is the top six? Are we looking at the six <coughs> biggest clubs, or are we looking at a, a top six that is most likely to be successful, most likely to pull big players into the in, in the transfer market type thing like just what's your sort of definition almost of what we're trying to look for yeah i think when i'm talking about the big six in this context we have to talk about sides who will actually be in that top six bracket in the premier league every season um the way arsenal are going and by, by all reports they're actually going to stick with arteta which i find amazing um I don't know if you can classify them as a top six club anymore. And look, they will always be a big club. They've got the fan base. They've got an element. that They've got a history. That, that They are a big football club, and you cannot take away from that. But when you're talking about sides who are going to be in that Champions League, Europa League battle, I just... I struggle to put Arsenal there anymore. And that's not me trying to put, you know, put the studs in. But they're just... They've just been below par year on year. They hounded out their best ever manager, saying, you know, Wenger out, he can only get us to fifth, he's finished, he's washed up. Look at where they've gone since he's left. 
Well, my thing with Arsenal, which is why I would, and yes, I completely agree with everything you've said, but why I would sort of keep them in and around it is because, well, one of the other clubs that would be in there would be Tottenham, because Tottenham are a far bigger club in terms of you look at their plays, you look at their, while they haven't sort of won anything, their chances for success, they've been in a title race, they've been in a Champions League final. They're almost, yeah, they're in that top six. They're consistently in and around there. Mm. But Arsenal have won FA Cups more recently than Tottenham. Tottenham just can't win a trophy. So, again, like who is set up more for success? You'd think Tottenham, but Arsenal are actually getting the job done a little bit more than Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see your argument. Can I ask you this about Manchester City? Um, Tom, it, we've seen them be over... It's now been a decade, nearly, that they've been relatively successful... I truthfully believe they will never, ever achieve the heights of being a big club. Like, you, you look at what Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, Tottenham to a lesser extent, but still a big club. Um, you, you look at these sides, I just cannot for the life of me put Manchester City in that bracket. I think they behave like a big club, but they just simply do not have the fan base to get behind them. And I think... In, in, particularly in England, like these are fans who, you know, they, they teach their kids about, you know, why we support this football club. It's very much a generational thing. I, I think for Manchester City to really achieve what they want to achieve in terms of getting the fan base, we saw the, the hilarious amount of fans that were outside the Etihad last week. Honestly, for them to achieve the fan base that they want, it's a 50-year project. Yeah, no, look, it's hard to argue. And again, it's hard to be, or you don't want to be sort of throw too much banter or throw too much stick around because ultimately they're... Okay, they are successful. They, yeah, they're, they're very successful and they set up to be extremely successful. Um, they're not set up to win a couple of trophies here or there. You look at, we're so proud of our 13 um, English Premier League titles and 20 titles overall. City are up to five now. And I'm just saying, okay, that's fine, they're still a way off. But you think in a year or two, that turns to six, that turns to seven. Before you know it, they're on 10 Premier League titles. And then you think, oh my God, what's happened here over the last 15 years? So, um, And then I think if they get to that stage where they are... Re- and look, again, that is going to take 20 or 30 years maybe to reach Man, Un- Man United's um, numbers if Man United don't continue to win. So Man United fall off a cliff, it's still going to take decades. But that is when we're going to live through a couple of generations and obviously the footballing landscape will change and um, then you could maybe have them in that argument but I agree when you do see scenes well you know what I mean by scenes when mm. you see a few people outside the Etihad it does really highlight that okay while they're very successful they're a very well run club in terms of the football side of things you can't buy history you can't buy tradition you can't buy like the culture of a football club um I wouldn't say sadly because I'm very proud of what Man United have, but um, yeah, City just don't have that. Yeah, it just it feels artificial, doesn't it? And look, we could be here, you know, in forty years' time. Should we be blessed enough to live that long? And we'll we'll look at it, and I think only then we can really see what the size of their fan base is and how much money they need to spend in order to to get that. But anyway, let's move on. Tom, let's let's talk about Manchester United again. We've we finally got in there, but we leave the best for the last. Let's talk about the Europa League final. I know we've obviously got Fulham on the horizon and we do have Wolves and we will cover those games for you. But all eyes are on the Europa League final. I think it's in the back of the players' heads. Let's preview this game a little bit. Villarreal, um, they absolutely bitch slapped. Who was it? Was it Seville this morning? 4-0? Yeah, 4-0. They're flying and... 
you look at United's form over the last few weeks, not not last week, the last few games. Sorry, are you concerned? I, I, is our form going into this? And look, like we said, there's two games to play. But are you concerned about the players' confidence heading into such a big final? No, look, I'm not concerned in terms of the confidence and form because while we can't use it as an excuse to poor form, I think there are definite explanations for the form. I think that first one against Leicester was a completely rotated eleven. And then the one against Liverpool is obviously the motivation levels, but also a fact that, well, Liverpool are a very good team. Um, you're sometimes going to lose football matches to good teams. So so there's nothing in terms... We haven't gone and lost and been played off the park by Burnley or played off the park by West Brom. So you look Leicester and Liverpool, both very good teams. You can sometimes lose those games. Um, my main concern, though, which we'll get into now, which was highlighted in both those games, and especially the Liverpool game, is the lack of Harry Maguire. And not so much the lack of Harry Maguire. I think we can win a game without him. It's can we win a game or can we trust in a final someone like an Eric Bay who will probably be first-choice centre-back in terms of partner in Victor Lindelof. And that is my main concern. Now, of course, we can go in and Eric Bay can have a blinder and we can win the Europa League with him. But I think we all, we all saw against Liverpool how sort of shaky and sort of vulnerable we just look at the back without Harry Maguire. So many of his critics were sort of, look, as the term says, it's critical of him over the past two years. But as soon as you don't have him there for two games, you go, oh, hang on, he does bring a lot to this um, centre-back partnership. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we, we covered it. Um, I can't remember which game it was. But we did say that when Harry Maguire is not there or the mark of a, of a good footballer is you you know what Harry Maguire has very much Michael Carrick vibes about him in the sense obviously very different footballers but when Carrick was pulled out of the Manchester United side you definitely saw the drop in quality and I think we saw that with Harry Maguire over the last few games it's uh yeah that defense looks shaky um Tom we didn't really get a talk about it but um I owe someone an apology please do please go ahead I've been waiting for this and I know a lot of the listeners have been waiting for this yeah so um for those who have been following, probably since about October, I want to say, I've been calling for Dean Henderson to be Manchester United's number one goalkeeper. Now, the reason I said that is because I was saying, as good as David De Gea is, I just think, I think we've seen the best of him. I don't see him getting back to the David De Gea of old. I thought it was time for some new blood. Dean Henderson's come in and I thought he's done pretty well. Um, I probably highlighted his throw-in against Manchester City as the greatest movement a goalkeeper has ever done on a football pitch. But I have to back my decision. So it is my job to, I guess, what's the time looking for? Magnify. The, the, magnify everything he does. I have to say, that Liverpool performance was um, not inspiring. And uh, given what David De Gea did against Roma, I thought, yeah, good performance. That's the David De Gea of old, but still Hendo. And I just thought, bloody hell, all th- all the three out of the four goals, I think a better goalkeeper does can do something about them. And I have to say, David, I'm so sorry, mate. I, I-, I apologise from the bottom of my heart. And if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has any decision to make for the Europa League final, David De Gea needs to start in that game. I don't even think it's a consideration. And David, please just stay. Just stay. And uh, if we need to sell a goalkeeper, I'd rather sell Dean Henderson. Well, yeah, How's that? Well, look, look, a lot of people know my thoughts. And look, you don't have to give the apology to me. You have to send it to David himself. But 
it, look, I don't want to bore people. They've, they've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. If we wanted to get rid of Dean Henderson, uh, sorry, if we wanted to get rid of David De Gea, you look what clubs who have been successful in the last couple of years have done in their goalkeeping department with the goalkeeper we've mentioned before in Allison and what Manchester City have done with Edison. You have to go out and buy a goalkeeper for 70, 80 million pounds if you want to be successful. So that is the blueprint. So I'm thinking if David De Gea is not the answer and we wanted a new keeper and Dean Henderson was at one of these clubs, if he was playing in Italy or in Spain or if he was at Everton or Chelsea or wherever, would we go and spend 80 or 90 million on Dean Henderson? Of course not. We wouldn't even look at him. We wouldn't even want to spend 20 million on Dean Henderson. That's a fact. I, I can't see anyone saying, oh, let's get him. We're not looking at players like Nick Pope, who's the England goalkeeper. We're not saying go get Nick Pope. So I yeah. don't see a situation where anyone is calling for a sign, a transfer signing of Dean Henderson. But we do love him because he's a youth product coming through. And obviously he's a very good goalkeeper and a very good prospect. But it is where I just fall on the risk. We're saying it's far too big a risk. We've got David De Gea, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And yes, he still is. He might not be the best goalkeeper in the world anymore. But only one goalkeeper can be the best. To be in the top five or top ten is still a very good achievement. And if you have one of those goalkeepers who is in the top five or top ten, to get rid of him for a big risk in Dean Henderson is just ludicrous in my opinion. And I always come back and stand by the point. While I would strongly disagree with getting rid of David De Gea, Solskjaer needs to make a decision. If he chooses that, I disagree, but fair play. One of them needs to go. However, I stand by if one has to go, which you've just come around to, it would have to be Dean Henderson for me. Well, he's a more valuable asset, I think. He's the one that you can sell. Um, and he is the one who that... Would, who would buy him? Well, obviously, a lot of clubs would take him. But in terms of valuable asset, really? I think a lot of clubs would, mate. Yeah, I think a lot of clubs would. much, though? Oh, look, realistically, I, I don't think you're going to get him. 30 million is a good deal. I think you're probably pushing oh, I, twenty. I think you'd be, I think you'd be crazy. I think you'd be extremely lucky to get that. I, look, and I like Dan Henderson, and I have no. He's issues. English. There, There's I'd the English to, tax. I'd love to one day see him as the United goalkeeper. However, if I'm let's say Everton or Southampton, I don't think they're spending more than fifteen on him. Oh, jeez, I think you're being a bit harsh there. Like I apologise to David, but we don't have to call Henderson garbage. He's not garbage, but it's what comes with selling. Because you have to think, the wages, he's not going to take a wage cut. So it's part of the thing. That is why United struggle to sell players. is because they... Look, if we're to sell David De Gea, I've just said he's in the top 10 goalkeepers in the world. So suddenly that's a 60, 70 million pound price tag. But David De Gea can't go for that because of his wages. You'd have to sell him for 30 or 40 million so the buying club can afford the wages. Same case in Dean Henderson. Okay, he's not 350,000 pound a week. But let's say he's on, I think he's on around £100,000 a week. No club like Everton or that's going to pay that for their goalkeeper. So it's going to come out, come out of the transfer fee, which is why I look at Dean Henderson's transfer fee and it would be quite low in my opinion. And, and not to criticise him, I just think that's a fact of the matter. Yeah, well, it's a valid argument. And look, obviously, there is still some football to be played between now and the end of the season. So let's see. I'm sure we'll debate it, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think United... I, I understand the gamble they took, but I think they're finding themselves in a difficult position now. Um, 
Anyway, I think uh, that's a good place to leave the podcast, Tom. I think we'll obviously get to talk about the Europa League final in greater detail um, as we approach the Fulham and Wolves games. But thank you for listening and thank you for your patience with us. Um, it's been a difficult time, a weird time, the football congestion, and you know we've just been busy, to be honest. But we'll, we'll be here. We'll cover the Fulham match for you. We'll cover the Wolves game for you. And bloody hell, we'll be covering a Europa League final win for you because if I'm going to get up at 5 a.m., Take I had a Tom, I had a fight wars to get annual leave. So bloody hell, we better be winning that game. But if you are listening on, on Apple, please make sure you do give us a five star review. It just means more people can join us in the pub. Or if you're listening on any podcast app, just give us a review because, you know, we appreciate it. And come interact with us. Always happy to have a good chat with people. Tom, it's been a pleasure, mate. I think it's time for us to go to bed. Always, yep. Looking forward to bed. I'll text you first thing in the morning when I wake up. All right, sounds good. Cheers, mate.